0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: This is the Pain Pod. You want to see pain? Look at these. (laughs) Welcome to the Pain Pod. The podcast for all things pain management. Hosted by the pain guy, Dr. Mark Grofoli. We'll be collaborating with numerous pain management experts, talking about substance usage disorders, the latest treatment modalities, and most most important, focusing on the pain of our patients as leading providers of pain care. And now, here's our host, a man wanted in all 50 states, a suburban city-like mountain man, without the beard, from the hills of West Virginia, and certified in weapons of mass destruction response, it's Dr. Mark Garoppoli.
2: All right, welcome back everyone to the pain pod. Come one, come all to the pain pod and well, you're already here. So welcome aboard and welcome back. Uh, Today, I'm extremely happy to be going over something that quite frankly affects every single instance of patient care and it doesn't matter what type of healthcare professional you are, you are going to be faced with, dun dun dun, drug interactions. Yes, they're everywhere. Good golly. All right, raise your hands. Who here remembers a uh, couple years back, number of years back now, actually, but uh, back in 2016, I believe it was, there was the headline, It it reverberated everywhere, especially for us pharmacists and everyone in healthcare. But uh, the uh, Chicago Tribune ran the, uh, it was kind of like investigative reporting, but they had the secret patient going into various pharmacies, uh, just carrying two scripts. Uh, I believe it was one for chloroerithromycin and one for simvastatin you know, one of those basic drug interactions we're expected to catch every time. And that's truth be told, of course. You know, leading to concerns uh, in the patient's eyes, things like muscle breakdown, soreness, pain. I mean, hey, this is the pain pod, right? Uh, even kidney failure, so on and so forth. We all know about that, but who the performance on that was, well, uh, you know, perhaps a, a lay of the land, a foreshadowing of days to come, and you know all the all the issues we have going on uh, within our profession. There's tons of other podcasts uh, here on the Pharmacy Podcast Network going into that. But uh, you know, if you're like me, you like to be real, and every script flags an interaction, and that stuff's legit. Um, you know, yeah, we as pharmacists we're crowned with the knowledge and the experience to take on the responsibility of clearing the fog. So I figured, why not bring one of our, uh, quite frankly, internationally known experts on board here. Uh, We've got Eric Christensen here with us today, and he's done a lot of different adventures, as I'd call them, or efforts uh, when it comes to drug interactions and well beyond, of course, too. So uh, Eric, just want to welcome to the Pain Pod. And
0: well, what's your story in a nutshell? Well, it's great to to be here. I certainly appreciate the Invite. It's always nice to, to hop on a podcast once in a while and, um, yeah, give my background, share my story a little bit, and, um, yeah, obviously uh, share what I do as far as, you know, podcasting and blogging, which I've been doing doing uh, blogging now for about, oh, I think it's probably eight years. I've blogged twice a week uh, for eight years consistently at, at meded101.com, sharing case studies stories clinical pearls uh and of course drug interactions as well lots of, of cases there too so uh do that uh, i also podcast once a week uh, that is a real life pharmacology so you can go check that out if you're interested uh, basically I, I pick a drug and i share background on that drug share a lot of my experiences what i've seen with that medication so um which has has been uh a uh, very popular podcast, which which I'm very pleased to say, but I'm honestly surprised at at how many people have have listened to it. So again, that's uh, definitely useful for any healthcare professional um, that has to deal with medications at all on a daily basis, which is pretty much everyone at this point. So um, my uh, personal background, married uh, two kids. Uh, kids are into to golf big time for sure. Uh, and my daughter uh, is actually getting into to curling. So we've uh, at the time of this recording, we've got the Olympics gearing up. And so uh, my daughter and I were actually watching curling a little bit uh, early, early this morning. So it's uh, fun to see them uh, get into to different activities and, and that sort of thing. So who doesn't like curling? Seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's one of those sports that, you know, it it doesn't take long to figure out how to do it and what the objective is um but there's so many you know intricacies and and you know details that um are really really crazy as you get into the the game more and stuff so i've i'm i'm an amateur curler for sure i've uh curled probably now for five years total um pretty much a a once a week type thing get to get outside and get some activity when it's uh, 30 below here in in Minnesota so um yeah that's that's my way of kind of kind of getting out since i uh, bummed up my knee playing basketball i, th- I think that ship has kind of sailed for me so um <laughs> but uh yeah from the the clinical pharmacy standpoint my background um i i got my start in long-term care consulting um that's been been my my primary role uh, throughout my career um, do assisted living consulting, MTM. Uh, I have worked in a clinic uh, setting as well um, doing MTM and, and that sort of thing, working with collaborative practice agreements. Um, I've worked some PRN relief uh, from time to time in our uh, community and, and retail sites. Um done some uh, joint commission type work with healthcare systems and, you know, regulatory stuff. And And so I've I've had a lot of really cool things happen, and um, really uh, oppor- unique opportunities that that have kind of come along for various reasons. Um, and it it's nice to to have a little dabble in a bunch of different um, backgrounds. I, I think it helps your perspective uh, on everything uh, relating to medications and and pharmacy. So that's a, a somewhat brief summary of of my background. Um, And uh, yeah, certainly we can get into more as we go along too.
2: Awesome. And thank you for that. It, you know, um, well, it was amazing when you were talking about the, you know, the kids and fam and whatnot, and that uh, resounds everything, of course, Um, your, your words on your uh, efforts and adventures as a pharmacist, it makes me think of that cartoon that's out there. Uh, Just one drawing of the. The pharmacist with like 16 hands, you know, doing all different (laughs) things. Now, the intent of that cartoon is typically to say we do that all at once. But in the big picture, we do it throughout a career as well, too. Yeah. I'm getting a little more philosophical there, I guess. But uh, certainly bring a a lot to the table when when, uh, talking with any uh, pharmacist or even aspiring pharmacist for our student pharmacists out there. And even, you know, those considering getting into the profession. Uh, that, that's uh, one aspect of you know what we're, we're talking about here in the pain pod in the big picture. So you've got uh, lots of different experiences, of course. So one, I guess, one big picture uh, question here for you, Eric. Um, what's the most interesting? I guess I'll say patient care concern uh, that you've witnessed that involved a drug interaction, since that's our theme here today.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I I honestly was thinking about this last night uh, a little bit before uh before I went to bed and um you know I've I've blogged uh, about a lot of different drug interaction cases and um picking one is is difficult but I'll, I'll start with the one that that kind of first came to mind I was actually um and really it's kind of not a drug interaction so hopefully you don't throw me off the podcast for it but it's okay we'll we'll keep going (laughs) but uh i I was asked to to consult on a, a situation um where the coroner wrote the on the death certificate for an individual clozapine toxicity and um as i i was reviewing this situation and and helping this individual figure it out um they had had a, a dose increase of their, their clozapine. So certainly that, that was um, probably a significant component of, of the issue. Um, but around the same time of that dose increase, uh, the patient had actually stopped smoking. And if you, if you remember, um, smoking is an inducer of the metabolism of clozapine. Mm-hmm. Clos- too, right so yeah ex- exactly and, and so by stopping smoking that definitely could have propelled the concentrations higher and they were on a fairly big dose the way it was and then coupled that with the increase that they just recently had um, it was certainly plausible that that combination of situations and that drug interaction uh, that happened um, led to you know, the potential toxicity and, and death of that individual. So a really, really crazy situation. Um, but one of those things that, you know, most clinicians, providers, nurses, there's no way they're going to know that, uh, with right. the, the smoking issue. So that, that's our ball
2: game, right? That, that's, um, well, you know, as far as that story, I think you had all of us, um, Uh, at corner, right? Yeah. (laughs) Certain words, just uh, if you, if you weren't listening, boy, you were listening then, right? Uh, For everybody in the audience, present self included. Uh, That's, uh, it's so interesting that you bring up that case um, in a real, you know, like a pharmacy CSI sense, quite frankly, but um, there's various uh, smoking cessation, uh, continuing education or CE presentations I've done. That's actually something I bring up. It's kind of that like thing in the background of you know, there hasn't been a U.S. Surgeon General to date that hasn't said the biggest thing we can do as healthcare professionals is, you know, talk about smoking cessation and, and move that bar for our patients. Yet, you know, there, there's that little asterisk of it, it's so few times, but they're out there. That's a yeah. case right there as an example of, yeah, but we got to proceed with the knowledge and experience that we have. So great, yep. great uh, in, interaction uh, situation there too. So yeah, yeah, we'll keep you around. We'll keep you around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alrighty, So when, when talking about drug interactions, it's I, I think you brought this up perfectly, actually, it, it's most minds actually go to thinking about good old CYP450, you know, hepatic enzyme, you know, your 2D6, 3A4, 2C9, your heavy hitters. Those are the big ones in pain management, of course, too. But um, it's so much more than that. Um, it, it oftentimes, you know, kicks back to the SIP 450 interactions, but there's so much more. There, you know, there's the transporters as well, OATPs and PGP. Sounds like a song or something. Uh, there's <laughs> what happens with it all, like uh, you know, affecting cardio with QTC interval uh prolongation or the infamous dun 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 serotonin syndrome, um, or or you know, going on the patient side, things like pharmacogenetics, age, gender, everything comes into play. Um, it's tough to wrap our heads around it, you know, beyond the CYP450 things or any metabolism things. I, any recommendations for all of us just to wrap our heads around how do we organize drug interactions in our head?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a, a good good question for sure. Um, my so my first thought is is look at look at the patient and. Um, a lot of times I come into doing long-term care consulting I come into situations where the patient is already taking the med okay so sometimes we we don't get the opportunity to do that prospective mm-hmm. like like you mentioned earlier like okay you're going to start clarithromycin yes this is going to interact with your simvastatin okay let's can we do something different with the clarithromycin whatever so that that's a, that's a situation that obviously dispensing you're going to Be presented with that situation. So, in in my mind, I often get presented with, okay, here's a patient. They're on this list of drugs. You know, where are we at? And, And my first thought is, okay, what's going on with that patient? Are they having issues? So, do they have edema? Do they have nausea? Do they have something going on? And can I relate that to any sort of drug interaction? So that's kind of my my just kind of initial approach is to say, "Hey, what's going on with this patient? Is there an adverse effect? Is there, you know, that type of thing going on? And could there be a drug interaction that's complicating that or adding to that? So that's kind of step one for me. Mm-hmm. And then the next steps are, like you mentioned, thinking about how that drug interaction is is going to happen. So I kind of put them into to three buckets, usually. Um, three big buckets. There, there's some sub stuff that that happens. That's a little you know less common or whatever. But uh, my first thought in dealing with geriatrics and polypharmacy is usually additive effects. Okay, so are you on you know are you having trouble with edema and you're taking an NSAID and pioglitazone and you know a calcium channel blocker? It's like okay you know we we've got to address all these meds. You know they're right, they're, right. they're all potentially contributing. <laughs> to edema. So that's really my first thought is additive effects because often I get presented with patients saying here they have this problem figure out what it is. So that's kind of my my first thought. Um my second thought is definitely like you mentioned um thinking about those metabolic pathways and and breakdown. And then third I definitely think about absorption transporters, um, and, you know, maybe a little less common, you know, if, if drugs impact, you know, renal function, um, and, and that type of thing. So those are, that's kind of my three buckets initially, as I'm kind of re- reviewing a, a new patient, so to speak.
2: Makes sense. And it's, I, I love how your your thoughts there are driving all of us to think of the patient first. Quite frankly, I mean, regardless of what something's classified as it's, you know, you got the uh, lady or gent in front of you and they're, they're probably telling you something or here's what's going on, you're observing something. Either way, it's, you know, all about the patient first. So great, great ideas there. So, um, it sounds like you've got some really good uh, uh, situations, stories, whatever we want to call them, from the past. But what's like the top five? Um, and if there's only two or three, so be it. But what's your like top five drug drug interactions that that you've seen or would, would talk about?
0: Uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll play to the home crowd here a, a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll go with NSAIDs. We'll we'll take a, a pain medication. I'll I'll put that on there for sure. And not to necessarily say that. You know, drug interactions with with NSAIDs are always catastrophic. You know, from a severity standpoint, um, but they're just used so frequently, and, and patients pick them up over the counter, and and so you're you're gonna see issues with that. And in my practice, my experience, and in, in using NSAIDs in the elderly, seeing them be used, um, renal impairment is a real thing. You got tons of people on ACE inhibitors, NSAIDs, diuretics, and Renal failure is is a big concern for sure. So we've got to monitor that kidney function. Um, heart failure, exacerbating heart failure, kind of opposing the effects uh, of some of the, the diuresis type medications. Uh, that's a big issue. And then of course, uh, GI bleed with anticoagulants, um, antiplatelet medications, elderly folks are on those meds all the time. And, and so, you know, those are really the, the biggest three reasons in my mind, you know, why we really try to avoid NSAIDs uh, in in our geriatric patient population. Um, And definitely just from frequency of uh, encountering drug interactions uh, with those NSAIDs. That's, that's definitely, definitely on my, my top five there for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Warfarin. um, That was actually one of the other case examples that, that I was thinking of um, was kind of similar to stopping smoking. Um, I remember a case where um, rifampin was added, they were on it for six to eight weeks or something for osteomyelitis or something. I can't remember the exact indication now, but um, they were on it for a significant chunk of time. And you could see the warfarin dosing go up and up and up. And, and it made it to double digits in that time frame And I I tried to keep reminding this provider like hey once that rifampin is pulled out it's like you're going to want to go back to where we started probably <laughs> and sure enough you know they they drew the the INR i don't know 3 to 5 days or a week after stopping uh the rifampin and boom it was it was up around 10 you know and, and so again, there, there again, when we have medication changes, think about how an interaction um, might might affect that. Not just necessarily when a medication started. So uh, warfarin's got it got to be on that list. Of course, all the interactions with antibiotics and three a four and and two c nine and all that sort of stuff. Um, phenytoin, uh, another classic example. I've seen numerous cases of phenytoin toxicity. Um, one's being due to the dosing and pharmacokinetics of that, which we'll get into that today, but, um, fluconazole and cimetidine are two, um, examples that I remember seeing, um, in practice causing phenytoin toxicity. So definitely, I remember that not used terribly often anymore. Thank, thank goodness, or the uses become less and less, but, um, you know, if you, if you work in geriatrics, you, you often get those, those patients that start on a medication, they're, you know, like phenytoin, they're seizure free and they just get left on it because it it has been successful. Um, but we got to remember that we got to deal with some of the collateral damage and the risks of, of drug interactions with some of those, those older drugs that maybe aren't quite so clean. Everything has its baggage, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Um, amiodarone came to mind, uh, definitely CYP3A4, QT prolongation, um, and lithium came to mind as well. I um, feel like we get more and more um, psych patients uh, into assisted livings and long-term cares, um, and you know, lithium can have some really common drug interactions, ACE inhibitors and NSAIDs, like I, I mentioned that before. Um, so yeah, that that's that's the five that I I pulled out. Certainly All there's, right. there's that's, plenty other that, that are out there, but um, those are some of the ones where I've I've maybe seen the most significant issues or most frequent issues come up
2: it's it's interesting that uh, some of those i think a lot of us would be thinking boy are they even you know is that even utilized anymore yeah. or um, but yeah it, truth be told stuff's still out there and um yep. and there's scenarios for everything uh, warranting whatever so it, it's very interesting ones i um thanks for sharing those and yeah you know one that one that didn't come up there i think i alluded to this earlier but uh I, you know Personally, me, I guess professionally, actually, I'm constantly told by prescribers that uh, my people, that's us pharmacists, by the way, uh, <laughs> need to lay off on the serotonin syndrome worries. Uh, hmm. um, it, you know, I usually explain the, the whole, uh, you know, as long as what I usually say is I tell people if they feel like they have the flu on Friday, don't wait till Monday to call somebody, uh, you True. know, that version of it, I guess. Um, and, and that, it you know, it does happen, yet it's extremely infrequent. What are your thoughts and maybe even recommendations in this regard?
0: Yeah, with the, the serotonin interaction, I, I, I would say I probably get asked most often by students on this because they're, you know, trying to figure out how clinically significant and, you know, how much should I worry about it and all that sort of stuff, like, like you had mentioned. And um, I, I, again, go back to each individual case. I mean, if I've had a patient on sertraline 25 you know am i worried about serotonin syndrome no i mean it's way (laughs) it's way down the list you know as far as me worrying about serotonin syndrome you know especially in a lot of my patient population where they're on 20 other meds already like Mm -hmm. yeah serotonin syndrome isn't isn't quite too high on the list um but when i see Getting into situations where I see inappropriate use when we're using an SNRI, you know, on top of a high dose SSRI, and you know, wacky things are happening. It's like, oh, okay, guys, like, you know, we we got to take take a look at this. And um, in a lot of situations, I, I try to utilize it if if possible as as an opportunity. Um, to try to reduce polypharmacy and, and to try to lower dosages and and making sure patients are safe. So um, I don't have an easy answer, pretty much like everybody else on the planet, as far as uh, dealing <laughs> with that. Um, I, I can say in my experience, um, the number of times in 10 plus years now uh, that I've come across serotonin syndrome um, you know, it's less than than the number of fingers I have on my hand. <laughs> so if that gives you a sense of, of how frequently it happens, and I'm not sure in your experience, you know, how often you've actually seen it either.
2: Yeah, the cases have come across, but I think it's in a, a it, it certainly gets down those sensationalized uh, manners. And yeah. perhaps, uh, you know, you mentioned student pharmacists and, you know, uh, uh, myself even being in, in academia, we've got to think about that when we're educating the future of the profession too of, you know, how much do we include that in cases along the way of the, yeah. you know, is it the same ratio compared to what's out in the real world? That, that's that's a big thing to consider too, so. yep. Yeah, you know, it it all comes back to that education. I love how you had mentioned the polypharmacy. I always say that, uh, or many times say at least, that serotonin syndrome is it's kind of like the Halloween costume of polypharmacy. When you think <laughs> about it, it's the, um, that's for sure. But uh, so here's here's something that gets me. Um, so drug interaction software, you know, whether it's dispensing platforms, whether it's the online databases, whatever, they're there to help us, of course, and they're very needed. I, it, they help all healthcare professionals and and, uh, certainly us as pharmacists were there at the helm, you know, the captain of that ship. Uh, But it's, the various software, it's been observed to flag just about every prescription for interactions or whatever other, you know, drug utilization reviews or clinical concerns, um, you know, for just about any patient with multiple medicines, of course, maintenance medicines, usually. Uh, There's an interesting comparison. Uh, it, It involves what I usually refer to as the quattro killer Uh, Because there's all these words out there, but that's the sedative interaction. Here we would be talking about opioid, benzo, quote unquote, muscle relaxant, sedative hypnotic, you know, a a heavy four. So um, when you review the quote unquote quattro killer in, in, four different databases. There's clinical pharmacology, micromedics, Lexicomp, and drug facts and comparisons. I'm not going to put any uh, on the helm here, but uh, recommendations range. When you look at those, that four, that set of four medications for interactions, the recommendations range from, get this, consider therapy modification. They range all the way up to potentially severe or life-threatening. It's the same exact drug-drug interactions, uh, to me, that's concerning. Uh, it, it's just you know we rely on on these things, and then of course our own knowledge and and experience to navigate through things. But uh, you know, what are your thoughts on on that or this scenario here? Um, any, any pointers for our audience when navigating the the old choppy sea of drug interaction flags?
0: Yeah, you know, just exercise your your clinical mind. Um, just working with a, a patient and understanding how that flag is being presented to you so is is this a patient that's been on a combination for forever have they been on it for six years 10 years whatever um if that's the case um again this is another situation where it brings up some ammunition for you to attack polypharmacy like Look, there's definitely risks to having patients on you know an opioid and a benzo and and other sedatives like there's risks to that. Can we possibly reduce something? Can we change something um and so i so I think it'll it allows you to um have a conversation with the patient and or provider in that situation um if you're immediately concerned about something, so let's say they're starting um, a, a benzodiazepine, and you know it's a 90 year old, they're on a chronic opioid, and they're starting lorazepam one milligrams three times a day. Like, okay, you know we've got to pump the brakes on this. This is a brand new drug for them. It's a ridiculously high dose. That's a situation where you've got to take an intervention. Um, more so than, you know, and, and get the dose changed more so than just, okay, I need to do patient education or or whatever the case may be. So um, y- you've got to look at the dose. Y- you've got to look at where this patient's come from, where they're going. Um, and bottom line, you've you've got to talk to people as well. You've got to contact the provider and, 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 or figure out, why we've gotten to this point as well um most providers i think are are pretty understanding and are on board with trying to reduce risks but you know in the grand scheme of things they want to try to treat people as well um so they they've got to run that balance a little bit more when you're prescribing a medication uh as well as as monitoring that medication too so yeah, my my first thought is is, look at that dose and and, and dose dosages of all the different meds um and use it as an opportunity to try to uh, reduce other medications if something new is being started. because a lot of times I find in geriatrics, if something new is being started, that means things usually aren't going very well. And if that's the case, well, what are we doing with some of those other medications? They're obviously not helping as much as we'd like. So can we dial those back and and get rid of those if we're going to to start something new? so, yeah, it, it's 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 difficult. I mean, I mean, it's it's difficult sometimes. and um there's no no magic bullet, no magic answer because every situation is different. yeah, and I, I love the
2: reality check that you put into that of the something, if there's new therapy, that means something was going on. So, you know, diving yeah. deeper with that and really figuring out the uh, how eminent something is. You know, is yeah. this chronic maintenance therapy or is it something that's acute right here and right now in front of our faces? I, that stuff is so important too, so. All right, so let, let's uh, let's let's pivot here to I don't know maybe there's a little lighter I guess, but uh, you mentioned uh, being from Minnesota where it's probably what like negative 50, 700 degrees or <laughs> something. I, I'm here in wild, wonderful West Virginia. It's still winter season, snow, ice, the whole gamut, of course, in the mountains. Yeah. So let's think about our other folks. Um, you know, what is the deal with grapefruit juice? You have any advice <laughs> for our audience in Florida or perhaps even our
0: snowbirds? Well, I'm uh, first off, I'm jealous if you're listening uh from Florida. I, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to uh make make the trek uh down down to Florida a few weeks ago. So it was uh it was it was amazing. <laughs> well, now, <laughs> to, now I'm jealous. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, exa- exactly. So um yeah, with with grapefruit juice, um I actually uh have a a podcast dedicated to grapefruit juice it's about 10 to, to 15 minutes um and, and so i i'll definitely refer you over there uh to listen to that one that's real life pharmacology grapefruit juice interactions i believe it's titled
2: absolutely we'll we'll share that that'll be in the the episode notes for yeah
0: everybody. so so go go check that out and you know my 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 first thought with with grapefruit juice is uh, getting uh, basically information from the patient saying okay how much are you going to do of this (laughs) Uh, that's kind of my first step and and, I mean sometimes you'll be surprised with what patients do and and, you know some will say yeah I do three four square glasses a day you know and it's like oh geez (laughs) like yeah this this is going to be an issue and it's like you know and if the patient's like "Ah, you know I just want to you know, do it once a week or every couple of weeks or whatever. It's like, okay, I'm probably not crazy worried about it. You know, if you're just on a statin or whatever the case may be, um, I'm I'm probably not, not too worried about that. So dosages, dosages, dosages is basically where I start. Um, It sounds like we're uh, both
2: really fans of uh, uh, Paracelsus, father toxicology. I always (laughs) paraphrase him. It's all about the dosage, baby. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, Well, thank you for that. We'll be sure to share that as well, too. So here, we'll go a little more off the wall. Um, Thinking pharmacy, big picture here as a pharmacist, of course. If you had five minutes with President Biden, what would you tell him or ask him about pharmacy?
0: Yeah, I, I would I would have to go down the road of of provider status. I, I mean it's just it's the most bizarre thing in the world that you know especially now, you know, doing the blog and doing the podcast and understanding like How many med students and PA students and nurse practitioners are listening to to my pharmacology podcast just to refresh their knowledge and, and, you know, learn some things. And and it's just baffling how we can teach your physician, we can teach your PA, we can teach your NP basically how to prescribe medications, but we can't do it i mean isn't that the most bizarre thing in the world it's a paradox it's that that we can teach them how to do it which implies that you know we're better at using medications than them
2: you know the hippocratic oath has nothing to do with being a hypocrite right that's yeah And, and,
0: and so just yeah that i just can't get over that in my mind that that, that, that is happening.
2: Well, um, if I'm in that elevator with you, with, with
0: <laughs> him, we'll, we'll, uh, he'll have surround sound. So <laughs> yeah, Phenomenal. E- exa- exactly. <laughs> so that, that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, my, my mindset with it. Um, I've certainly, you know, sent letters and emails to to representatives and that sort of thing. And um, by and large, I, I think, I think most representatives, you know, whether they're Democrat or, or Republican, I think they get it. You know, but just for whatever reason, our voice isn't loud enough or being overshadowed by all the other problems in the world or yeah, whatever a lot I, going on. But yeah, uh, it, I, I mean, I, I think there's a, a generalized consensus that, yeah, pharmacists really should be able to manage disease states. You know, I mean, we don't diagnose and I get that. I'm totally fine with that. But you bring us a diabetes patient, you know, I know what the diagnosis is. Like, we know how to treat it. Like, let, let's go.
1: Let's do so, this.
0: Um, so, yeah, that that would that would oh, have to be, cool. be my approach there.
2: So I, I'm going to kick back. One of the things you mentioned earlier was all the, the ins and outs when it comes to NSAIDs. Uh, and and you know, um, our actually our last uh, pain pot episode was all about OTC pain medications, and and you know how they land folks in the ER at really incredible rates. Yeah. Uh, so any, I guess, just anything to add on to that whole any recommendations for pharmacists, uh, patients alike too, uh, for navigating the infamous OTC analgesic aisle, uh, especially for people that are utilizing multiple maintenance medications, anything like that.
0: Yeah, I I, I would say. NSAIDs, you you probably run to run into more issues with um, drug drug interactions and, and drug disease interactions um, acetaminophen I feel like you're you're going to run into more issues with um, patients using multiple different products that have acetaminophen in it and then, you know, ultimately leading to you know toxicity, hepatotoxicity, or, or whatever the case may be. So, th- those are the two from a pain pain management uh, perspective um, that I've seen come up the most and Absolutely. cause cause hospitalizations and any issues the most. So, those are probably the two highest yield areas that you could kind of focus on um, with with your patients and and over the counter pain meds specifically. And our patients in pain need to know that regardless of how
2: many phones are ringing or how long the line is, we're we're there. Ask us questions. We love having conversations, and that's the only way we can provide the care. So ask exactly. away. Exactly. That's, uh, that's all about the conversation. So, uh, so for, uh, for our conversation here today, there's pretty much like two things I always ask all guests. So uh, first up, how do you define pain?
0: Well, I I I knew you were going to ask this question. And <laughs> He's done so, his homework, folks. They're <laughs> catching on. <laughs> so I I I went to I went to Google and like yeah, I I didn't really like the standard definition of it and you know, I I wanted to bring some real insight, some real world definition to you. And and so I asked my kids like could you guys define pain? How would you guys define pain how would you teach a kid that's five years old what pain is four years old like what would you tell them and so the the two things i i i got out of the kids was something doesn't feel right in your body and it hurts so Bingo. That, there it. you go that's <laughs> that's the definition of pain something doesn't feel right and it hurts it's Ah, uh,
2: philosophically simplistic. Yeah, I'm a simple. I'm a simple man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you to the uh, eight-year-old and eleven-year-old. Right? That's, I, yeah, I love exactly, that. Exactly. Um, oh my gosh! I'm also thinking about uh, our our kid too, though. Uh, you know, pain guy's kid. I asked. I've actually asked him about that too, and oh my goodness, he gives like the answer I think a surgeon <laughs> would. He'll get into transduction and everything. It, it's, it's insane. <laughs> He knows all yeah, about yeah. the L four and patellar and all that stuff. But anyways, um, hey, kids are the future, so we got to listen to them, and this that's is a great right. time to do so. Yeah, that's right. All righty. Last but not least, so you know this one's coming too. Then you've done your homework. What's your favorite pain medication and why?
0: Uh, it's it's got to be tramadol. Absolutely, it's just so like you could teach a pharmacology class and all the different intricacies. Of how drugs work and metabolism and elimination and adverse effects and mechanism of action. And, and you could use Tramadol as your example, and you could spend an hour or two teaching about how that drug works in, in different ways between the SNRI activity, opioid activity, uh, you know, 2D6, 3A4 interactions, seizure risk. Uh, renal function, age-related dosing restrictions. I mean, um, it, it's it's infamous, and and, and it's um, <laughs> the 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 beauty of it or the madness of it, depending upon uh, how how you see it, is. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get when you use Stramadol. <laughs> um, and, and it's utilized so much. And it's utilized globe, really. so it's... much. It's It's crazy. It's really, really crazy to think about all the... Complexities of of tramadol and um, how much it's utilized. You know, for yeah, it I might being borrow essentially a, a dirtier drug. So <laughs> I, I might borrow one of your thoughts there. And the next time
2: um, we start off, our, I, I get the blessing of teaching in our school medicine uh, pain fellowship. And I think next year when we kick off the fellowship, I'm going to tell them all that, uh, yeah, this year I'm going to teach about tramadol. <laughs> <Just do laughs> <Yeah. playbook. laughs> How exactly. hard can it be? It's one medicine, right? Exactly. <laughs> Six, seven <laughs> sessions later, it'll still be learning. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Love, I, did, I did. love your perspectives here, Eric. And and really just want to thank you, of course, for your for your time and all that you're doing out there and helping patients and helping healthcare professionals alike. Uh sounds like a lot of folks are learning from uh your your MedEd 101. You know, just uh, it making making pharmacology make sense and fun. It, it's um what the best educators do so touche and all you're doing uh thanks again for coming on the the pain pod here as well
0: too you bet i appreciated the the opportunity and uh yeah thanks again oh you're very welcome our pleasure and well for our audience join us
2: on our next episode uh when get this we're going to discuss the opioid crisis and the overall war on drugs I've got a very special surprise for you. The man, the myth, the legend, author, and visionary, Sam quinones is gonna be joining us uh, upon the release of his new book titled The Least of Us. Uh, It's a natural follow-up to his masterpiece titled Dreamland. Now, you know you've heard of that one, but have you read the least of us yet? Uh, Dreamland was a mandatory read for many med schools uh, and a must read for the rest of us. Uh, If you haven't checked out his work yet, get on it. But regardless, join myself and Sam next time
1: on The Pain Pod. If you'd like to join Mark on The Pain Pod, send us an email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. And make sure to share the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. Thanks for listening. Heading to Orlando for the Super Conference next week? Join
0: RX Safe, Liberty Software, Real Value Products, and fellow PDS members for an evening of drinks, desserts, and drugs. Well, I didn't see that coming. Friday night at Top Golf Orlando, you'll have access to an open bar, free food, unlimited golf, and loads of fun activities. Let
2: the dancing begin.
0: Plus, we'll be offering huge giveaways to pharmacy owners who attend. Please listen carefully. RSVP soon because the event is almost sold out. Remember, it's Friday, February 18th, right after the conference. We'll have free transportation to and from the Disney Hotel. For more information, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. Can we do that again?